Hey, what's up? On this week's episode of the Join My League Football Podcast, I discuss the Kareem Hunt situation. I got some stuff to say about it. Also, fantasy football as we head into the fantasy football playoff season. Uh, Week 14 picks and more, so stick around. It's going to be a good time. Welcome to the Join My League Football Podcast with your host, Tim Coletta. TGIF. Yo, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Join My League Football Podcast. And I hate to start the show off in negative fashion, but I feel like if I didn't at least address the Kareem Hunt situation, it'd be like ignoring the elephant in the room, ignoring the turd in the punch bowl at a Christmas party, if you will. Plus, I do think it's better to get the negative stuff out of the way, you know, right now and end on a positive note. Also, I'm going to do more than just address the Kareem Hunt situation. I'm going to talk about it. And to be honest, I don't even know how to feel about that situation. And a uh, quick rundown of what happened. Uh, Second year running back Kareem Hunt was released by the Kansas City Chiefs last Friday about a week ago when uh, when a video A video surfaced from a February altercation involving Kareem Hunt and a woman in a hotel. The two were in each other's faces, there was pushing and shoving, and the video ended with Kareem Hunt throwing like a cheap kick to the woman who was down on her knees. The video was all over the internet, and I'm sure you can find it anywhere you want if you haven't seen it and you want to. It's not extremely graphic, I think it's more disturbing than anything in my opinion. Now, I feel like anything that I say that isn't completely thrashing and belittling Kareem Hunt as a person is going to make it seem like I'm somebody who just brushes off the seriousness of domestic violence. So a quick disclaimer for you snowflakes out there, I'm not going to bash him, I'm not going to belittle him, and I'm going to say some positive things about him. And luckily for you, as the listener, if you don't like it, you could turn me off, you know, find somebody else to listen to because this is my podcast and I'm going to say what I want. With that said, I think what Kareem Hunt did is disgusting. I think he deserves whatever punishment the NFL decides to uh, give him. And if no team ever signs Kareem Hunt in the future, that's on him. If Kareem Hunt's career in the NFL is over at the young age of 23, That's too bad for him. But I do think the situation is sad, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel a little bit bad for him. Now, Kareem Hunt made the decision to push and kick a woman. Kareem Hunt put himself in that position, and Kareem Hunt made the decision not to de-escalate the situation when he had plenty of opportunities to do so by simply just walking away. And that last part is key de-escalating the situation and walking away because that could have been done by any of the people in that video. There's at least five or six people in that video and the only ones de-escalating the situation were the few people who were holding Kareem Hunt back trying to get him to walk away. The woman who he had the confrontation with, nothing was stopping her from walking away. And yet, she stood there and on occasion would walk back into the fray. No one knows exactly what caused the confrontation, but there are two sides to every story. What exactly caused Kareem Hunt to snap? The only thing that I've heard that led to the confrontation was that things were said in a hotel, specifically the little white girl in the video called Kareem Hunt the N-word, and he wanted her to leave the room. She refused, and things went from bad to worst. I'm not sure how true that is, But that's what I heard. Regardless, that is no excuse 
for shoving and kicking a woman or anyone, regardless of gender. But, and this is where I expect to get some heat, if she would have walked away while Kareem's friends had him detained, she would not have gotten herself kicked. He was obviously upset. He was obviously angered. So you, what it appears like in the video, is you kept egging him on. Again, it's no excuse, I swear. It's no excuse to kick and punch or knock over any anybody, any woman, ever. It's not okay. But you can walk away. And because, as Kareem Hunt admitted, he just met her that night. And that means she didn't know him. She didn't know what kind of person he is. She doesn't know what he's capable of, his history. He could have shot the place up and there could have been people killed. She could have been killed. So, all things considered, she should feel grateful that she only got pushed down and took a slight kick to the thigh because she could have been beaten, she could have been raped, or she could have been killed. And all of that could have been avoided by simply walking away. It's a lesson we all could learn from. She made a poor decision. And I hate to say it, but she also put herself in that position by not walking away. Kareem Hunt was detained. Walk away. And Kareem Hunt made a poor decision, obviously, and he's going to need to learn from it. You know, things happen, especially when you're young and alcohol is involved. And I can only assume alcohol was involved because a bunch of people in their early 20s gathering at a hotel, I can almost guarantee they're not sober playing Monopoly and having sober conversation. There was definitely alcohol involved. You never hit a woman. That's something that's said whenever something like this happens. A man should never hit a woman, and a woman should never have to worry about being struck by a man. And I agree with that sentence 150%. But, and there's always a but, the key word is should. Because it could happen, and that is what matters. If I'm driving home from work on midnight, you know, at midnight on a Saturday night, I should not have to worry about being hit by a drunken driver because drunk people shouldn't be behind the wheel. But the fact is that drunk people do get behind the wheel. So it's something that I need to be aware of and take precautions. This isn't to say that I have no sympathy for the victim or she's to blame because what happened, truly awful. However, I do think she deserves some of the blame of what happened that night and she should not be let off the hook so easily. People make mistakes. And with circumstances surrounding Kareem's Hunt, Kareem Hunt's age and unlimited playing potential, he will absolutely land a job in the NFL. And as of this recording, he absolutely should land a job with a football team at some point. I say as of this recording because I'm just waiting for another uh, video to surface or for him to be accused of murder because these things always seem to happen at once. It's like TMZ has the NFL in their back pocket. But... Assuming this is just a one-off instance, giving him the benefit of the doubt when he says he just let his temper get the best of him, I say get the man some help, and at some point, if he straightens himself out, give him a second chance, because why not? Michael Vick got a second chance, and to the people who say he didn't deserve it, take a look at what Michael Vick's done since his release from prison. He turned his life around, did a complete 180. Chris Carter, one of my all-time favorite players, he got a second chance with the Vikings, and he did a 180 with his life. And we could talk about current players, too. Linebacker Reuben Foster, he's on his, like, his fifth chance, including two cases of domestic violence. What's the difference? A video? And that's, that's another thing. Why do we need a video to determine the severity of hitting a woman? 
When Ray Rice admitted to punching out his fiance, he was given a two-game suspension. Once the video was released, that's when the NFL was like, whoa, <laughs> that's really bad. Might want to make it more than two games. Ray Rice admitted everything the video showed. It wasn't until the video was released to the public that the NFL thought that the situation was a total embarrassment for the sport. Sounds like a little bit of trying to save face, wouldn't you say? Reuben Foster is a scumbag, and we knew that from his first run-in with the law, and he hasn't made an attempt to straighten himself out. You know why? Talent trumps all. There's going to come a point where Reuben Foster messes up one too many times, and he'll be out of the league for good. And it's up to Reuben Foster to turn his life around before that time is up. And I think the same goes for Kareem Hunt. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from this topic for today. It's kind of a touchy subject that I just hit the record and started talking. So if I need to revisit this, uh, revisit this next week to clear some things up, I will. Until then, let's get to some on-the-field action since that's what this show was all about. And allow me to say that this episode is going to be known as the episode of firsts. Because not only is it the first time that I decided to touch on something extremely controversial like the Kareem Hunt situation, it's also the first time that I've ever said these words out loud. How about them cowboys? That's right, that's the first time in my entire life that I've ever said that stupid slogan out loud because I called it. I called the Saints losing to the Cowboys. I called it. And starting Friday, all the analysts around the country said, you know, if you took the Cowboys, you didn't really think they were going to win. You were just going against the grain and trying to get a one-up. That statement begs to be argued with. Last week, I said there were three things that the Cowboys needed to do to take advantage of to win that game. First and foremost, Teron Armstead, left tackle, missed the game for the, state, uh, for the Saints. And I thought that Randy Gregory had to have a big game and take advantage of playing a backup left tackle. Well, Randy Gregory, he had a big game, so to speak. He had, uh, he had two very costly penalties later in the game that almost cost the Cowboys a W. Not exactly what I expected, but they won the battle on the line overall, and the Cowboys were able to get to Drew Brees by rushing just four linemen all game. So, battle in the trenches. Check. Number two, take advantage of the very few mistakes that the Saints offense makes per game. I said the Cowboys had to win the turnover battle, and while they actually lost the turnover battle 2-1, to one, they were able to take advantage of one Drew Brees interception, an interception that came to seal the game. And the Cowboys, two turnovers, leads right into the third key for the Cowboys' victory. Play sound defense and keep Drew Brees off the field. Check, 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 check. The Cowboys committed two turnovers into the game. They were both fumbles. The Cowboys committed two fumbles. And when the Saints offense came back on the field after the first Cowboys fumble... The Cowboys forced New Orleans to turn the ball over on downs. Sound defense. The second turnover by the Cowboys, the Dallas defense was able to pick off Drew Brees. Sound defense. Check. And lastly, keep Drew Brees off the field. Check, check, check. Cowboys won the battle of possession uh, 36 minutes and 53 seconds to 23 minutes and 7 seconds. Huge. Huge win for me, and a huge win for the Cowboys. And sometimes you gotta toot your own horn. And while I admit it took some uh, testicular fortitude to actually go on record and pick the Cowboys, let's not act like anyone who actually picked Cowboys to win was just guessing and they had no evidence to, to support their claim. Because 
I, for one, did have evidence. So eat that. New Orleans has a chance to get back in the winning column this week by avenging their week one loss when they travel to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. Meanwhile, the Cowboys are going to stay at home in Dallas to play the Eagles in a game with massive playoff implications. We'll get into that game a little bit later on, but for now, fantasy, 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 fantasy. Records are wiped clean once the fantasy football playoff starts, and for a lot of you, that begins this weekend. Well, Thursday night to be exact. Others already clinched, you know, and some are fighting and need a victory this weekend just to make it to the dance. Either way, you've come to the right spot because I got you covered. All you got to do is get into the fantasy football playoffs, and then anything can happen. Your undefeated record doesn't matter. For others, your 6-6 six and six record doesn't matter. The playoffs are a new beginning. Quick story. Back in 2006, I was lucky enough to draft LaDainian Tomlinson. Remember, that was the year when LT2 had 31 total touchdowns. And because of him, I had an undefeated record through the regular season. 13-0. Where'd that get me? Bounced out in the first round of the playoffs. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I got bounced in the first round. So your season record does not matter. And we touched on uh, this last week, best streaming options for defenses. Remember those teams were uh, the Broncos, Dallas, and uh, most importantly, Tennessee. So if you can grab Tennessee, I highly recommend it. The Titans defense has an extremely favorable schedule uh, within the last four uh, four weeks of the season, starting Thursday night against Jacksonville. Now this week, I'm going to focus on a couple of different tips and strategies. The first being the weather. Keep an eye on locations of games and the weather for certain outdoor games. And you know something real quick, doing all this work and research, it's no guarantee. It doesn't guarantee you're gonna win because you're not on the field. All you can do is prepare, prepare your best. Preparation doesn't always work. Give you an example. Last week, the hot defense of the week was Green Bay hosting Arizona at Lambeau Field. Waking up Sunday, I saw cold weather, I saw snow in the forecast in Green Bay. I thought this guaranteed me no less than 10 points out of the Packers' defense. And what'd they score? Two. They scored two points, dropped the game, and the Packers canned Coach Mike McCarthy shortly after the final whistle. But I was prepared, and I went with the favorable matchup. It didn't cost me a victory. Didn't cost me a playoff-clinching victory, thankfully. But there's no guarantee in preparation. So even if it's bitten you before, weather and location still matters. Sunday night, the Bears host the Rams. Forecast for Sunday night in Chicago, clear 29 degrees. Got your tough defense, hard-nosed Bears hosting the Rams, who play in nice weather at least half the year. Might want to go ahead and sit Jared Goff this week if you have a reliable, uh, reliable backup. Dak Prescott against the Eagles, Big Ben Roethlisberger against Oakland. Don't hesitate to play them. We also went over the importance of handcuffing key players. Can't stress that enough. But here's another strategy that I've been doing for years that I don't think uh, is done by enough fantasy players. And this was brought to my attention uh, by J.F. Stacks, none other. Blocking. I don't even know if that's a legit fantasy football term, but if it's not, it should be and I'll gladly take the credit for it. What blocking means to me, scout your opponent's rosters carefully, identify one or two of their needs, and address their needs on your roster. 
So block them from addressing their need. Example number one, James Conner went down with an injury this past weekend, and he's out this weekend in Pittsburgh's game against Oakland. If you're playing the person who has James Conner, they may need an additional running back to replace Conner. So you would block them by hitting the wire and picking up Connor's backup or the best available running back, even if you don't need him. You're preventing them from making their team better. You're blocking them from making their team better. Uh, example number two, if your opponent's starting quarterback is Matt Ryan or Jared Goff, look at their backup, and if their backup isn't starting worthy this week, hit that wire. Go pick up a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson, both of whom have favorable matchups this weekend. Blocking. Newest fantasy term, blocking. Trademark, copyright, join my league football podcast 2018, all rights reserved. Five picks this weekend as usual, and I gotta say, after last weekend, that too many upsets, if you ask me. Upset City, you know, the Cowboys, Cardinals, Giants, Buccaneers, and Jaguars all upset their opponents, ruining tons of weekend wallets. I went three for two on the week, so I definitely cooled off after a two-week stretch where I was 10 and 0. For those keeping track, I'm 38 and 22 on the year, a 57% clip, and 110, 62 and 2 total, which is a 63% clip. Not too bad, if you ask me. A ton of hot games to keep an eye on this weekend. First and foremost, we're going to start with the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans. The 6-6 Colts traveled to Houston on Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. to take on the 9-3 Houston Texans in a game that will decide the division. Though it may not be mathematical, if Houston wins, they'll win the division. No doubt about it. They're already three games ahead of the Colts, so even if they lose, they'll still be two games ahead of the Colts with three left to play. So even a loss on Sunday, it may take a meltdown of epic proportions for the Texans to drop the division. Can't see it happening, and I do predict the Texans win Sunday, but I'm more intrigued by the Indianapolis Colts. See, after a five-game winning streak, Indianapolis lost last week's game 6 to nothing to Jacksonville. Remember, this is not the same Jaguars team who were a few minutes away from making the Super Bowl last year. The Jaguars have been a train wreck all season long, and Indy on a five-game winning streak, and Andrew Luck, who threw for at least three touchdowns in eight straight games. The Colts cannot muster a single point, and that's concerning, and I'm interested to see how the Colts bounce back. As I said, the Colts are likely to be playing for a wild card spot at this point, and that's very attainable for them, I think, but if they don't get a win Sunday, they need to at least show competitiveness against Houston. With a decent chance to win their last three, a predicted 9-7 and record could net the Colts a wild card spot, and I hope it happens because Andrew Luck deserves it. But that doesn't do any good for them this week because the Colts are going to fall to the Texans by a score of 34-24. to Houston covers the spread in the process, but at least the Indianapolis offense gets back on track. The Cleveland Browns host the Carolina Panthers in another intriguing game on Sunday. This interconference matchup is going to tell us a lot about both teams who, uh, specifically Carolina. Now, we know the Browns are improved. They're a borderline decent average team, while Carolina, on the other hand, started 6-2. They now sit at 6-6. Six six. Now, which is it? You know, are you the good 6-2 team we saw at the beginning of the year? Or, or are you the current Panthers team who's riding a four-game losing streak? I'm not sure. And I'll be honest, 
I was not too high on the Panthers entering the season, but a 6-2 and two start is difficult to ignore. Well, this game is going to tell us because on paper, they are a better team than the Browns. Better quarterback, better coaching, way better defense, and they're due to win. This has Carolina W written all over it. But I hate to say, Panthers fans, it's not that simple because the Browns have played their best football at home in the dog pound. So Carolina should be getting the best Browns possible. And looking at how the Panthers have played on the road over the last three, that's pointing me Cleveland's way. Carolina has been outscored by an average of 13 points over their last three road losses. Tampa, Detroit, and Pittsburgh. Now, obviously, the Steelers are the best of the bunch, and they put a whooping on the Panthers a few weeks ago, and that heightens that average uh, average 13-point loss over the last three road losses. That increases that tremendously, but I'd put Tampa Bay and Detroit in Browns territory, and that just doesn't bode well, especially last week's Tampa loss, man. That really opened my eyes. Four interceptions thrown by Cam Newton, that was against one of the three worst defenses in the league. I don't expect a repeat performance by Cam, but I do expect better. Just, I don't expect enough. Cleveland, one-point underdogs. They're going to win outright, 24-20. to 20. Over in the NFC East, Eagles at the Cowboys. I have to say, I've been critical of the NFC East division for years. I've never had any interest whatsoever in that division. I don't care for any of the teams. The division race is usually very boring to me. But the NFL insists on plugging in at least one NFC East team on primetime, which that seems like almost every other week. And I get why that is. The NFC East brings the ratings. Giants, Redskins, Cowboys, Eagles, they equal ratings. I get it. But typically, I don't care for NFC East teams. And I care even less about NFC East matchups. But this game is different. This season is different. And I'm extremely intrigued with the NFC East. You have the Giants who, outside of a short miracle, have no chance to compete in the division, but they have an exciting future. With Odell Beckham and Saquon Barkley, they do have a chance and the ability to play huge spoiler down the road. Then you have the Washington Redskins, who've held the top spot in the division for most of the season. The Philadelphia Eagles, who have looked anything but defending Super Bowl champions. However, after winning two straight division games, Philly seems to be finding their groove. And the Cowboys, who currently lead the division after winning four straight, including last week's upset over the Saints. So the Eagles play the Cowboys in Dallas this weekend, and stakes could not be any higher. The Eagles sit a game behind the 7-5 Cowboys at 6-6. Six and six. Dallas already has a victory over Philly this season, so this is a must-win game for the Eagles. In essence, this is their season. A loss here will derail the Eagles' playoff chances, and that means the top two seeds in the NFC won't be what I predicted at the beginning of the season. So a part of me would like to see the Eagles win just to be right. However, I'd rather be right right now than right before. And it's hard to ignore the momentum Dallas is riding. It's hard to ignore how good their defense is playing. They limited Drew Brees. Why can't they limit Philly's dysfunctional, inconsistent offense? Again, this game is all about momentum, and Dallas has it. In the past, I'd say this is a game that Dallas is going to lose. One step forward, two steps back, that seems to be the Dallas Cowboys' way. And just when everything seems peachy in Dallas, they lay an egg. But they're better than they were the last time they met the Eagles. They're at home, 
and they've had a few extra days of preparation. So how about them Cowboys? Dallas wins 28-24. And Sunday Night Football Game of the Week, another flexed game pits the LA Rams traveling to my home city, Chicago, to take on the Bears. This game could very well be a potential playoff preview. The New York Giants upended the Bears last weekend in overtime, and the Rams won an ugly contest in Detroit. Todd Gurley versus this Bears unit, that's the matchup to watch. But I'm also looking forward to see how Jared Goff does against this Bears defense. It's going to be loud, it's going to be cold in Chicago, and I'm not confident in Jared Goff heading into this game. But that doesn't mean the Bears are going to win. On the other side, i got to admit, I'm kind of digging Mitchell Trubisky. He recently called the Bears the NFC, uh, the NFC's best team. And while I disagree, I dig the confidence. And so does everyone else in Chicago, because believe me, they're going to let you know. And they'll also let you know how badly they want him lynched when Trubisky throws an interception or two. Those people in Chicago, they're off the wall. Anyways, the Rams have scored 30 points in uh, 10 of their 12 games this year, and Chicago has only beaten two teams with winning records. And that lost last week against the Giants, it's thrown some people off the Bears' bandwagon. The Rams are clearly the better team, and while I'm not sure the Rams can get to 30 points, they're still going to score. The Bears, on the other hand, their scoring ability depends on the quarterback. And while ex- experts and even the Bears' staff seem confident There's no guarantee Mitchell Trubisky plays. If Chase Daniel plays, this prediction is scrambled. Therefore, I'm half-assing it. If Trubisky plays, Bears win 27-20. If it's Chase Daniel quarterbacking for the Bears, Rams are going to take it 28-17. And on Monday night football, especially depending on how the Bears fare Sunday night against the Rams, the Vikings are going to have another opportunity to catch one on the Bears. They've already failed twice this year, the first being when the Bears defeated the Vikings in Chicago, and the second being last weekend when the Vikings couldn't notch a victory over New England after a Bears loss earlier in the day. This is chance number three. It could be the final chance, and the Vikings need to take advantage. The Seahawks, meanwhile, have won three straight. They sit at seven and five, a half a game up on Minnesota for the final wildcard spot. Pete Carroll has done a tremendous job with the Seahawks team that most people, experts, had notching around five total wins this season. There's no way he gets this season, but I think Pete Carroll deserves at least some coach of the year consideration. This is a good matchup for the Seahawks this week, considering they have a winning record. That seems to be Minnesota's kryptonite. The Vikings haven't beaten a winning team all year. I thought through talent alone, Minnesota would win the NFC North even though, as I said, their schedule was brutal. And despite upgrading the quarterback position, they still need time to create chemistry. Everybody calling for Coach Zimmer and offensive coordinator uh, John DeFilippo's job, these people are morons. This is Coach Flip's first season as an offensive coordinator, first season calling plays for a team with a brand new quarterback and a very young running back coming off an ACL injury. There's going to be some growing pains. If the Vikings thought Kirk Cousins was the answer for the season alone, they wouldn't have signed him for three years. They'd have tried to sign him for one year, massive deal. Three years tells me it's not Super Bowl or bust for the Vikings this season. It's Super Bowl or bust over the next three seasons, which means if the Vikings do not win the Super Bowl by the year 2020, then it's a bust. Then you can make fun of the Vikings. Then the entire staff deserves to be fired. 
Until then, this team is loaded with talent on both sides of the ball, and they have the ability to give the Seahawks a hard time. If this game was in Minnesota, I would take the Vikings. But since the Vikings are on the road against a team with a winning record who have beaten them the last four times, I'm going to make it five for Seattle because I'm going with the Seahawks in an old-school defensive battle. Final score, Seahawks 14, Minnesota 13. And that is a wrap on this week's episode of the Join My League Football Podcast. Remember to like, share, follow, subscribe, comment, and review. Help me get the word out on this great podcast. Until next week, enjoy the games, dominate your fantasy playoffs, and have a fantastic weekend.